0: So tonight, I want to start by doing a survey, and you're going to raise your hand. Some of you will, I hope. How many people in here are bed makers? Anybody? Bed makers out there? That's it? So the rest of you are slobs. Okay, that's fine. Every morning for 24 years, my wife has made our bed every single day. I've learned that I cannot get up and go to the restroom if it's past like 6 a.m. Because she just gets up and makes the bed. And I come back, I'm like, that was a break in my sleep. I'm not ready to finish out the night. But she developed that habit a long time ago. Actually, as a child of making her bed. Now, making your bed may not be your habit, but we can all relate to developing habits. And there's a big fact about habits that we all need to know. Write this down if you're taking notes. The habits I develop have the potential to change my life for the better. The habits I develop have the potential to change my life for the better. Here's how a habit works. Habits have three elements, every habit. There's a cue, and then there's a routine, and then there is a reward. Take, for example, the cue of stress. Anybody experience stress in your life? I think we all should raise our hands about that. And if you didn't, I would like for you to teach a class about stress. So stress comes into our lives and we have a choice. Am I, how am I going to deal with this? The cue of stress that comes into all of our lives. Many people have developed the routine of when they feel stressed, you know something that really helps with stress? You know what it is? Exercise. Sweating, running, lifting weights, working out, some way to relieve the stress physically because we know that when we're stressed, working out helps. And then as we work out, that creates the reward of relieving our stress. And so when you start to recognize the cue of stress, the routine of working out, the reward of feeling better and less stressed, then a habit starts to develop in our lives. Now that can also be done from the negative. So when you feel stress, some people take that cue of stress and the routine they've developed is something that's harmful. Maybe you drink or maybe you use, or maybe you look. You do something that brings the reward of feeling released from that stress at least for a time. So all habits in our lives can be tied back to a cue, a routine, and a reward. In the New Testament, the Apostle John tells a story about a lady who met up with Jesus. And when she left Jesus that day, she began to develop a habit in her life that not only changed her life, but changed the lives of those around her. We're going to look at a section of Scripture in the book of John, chapter 4. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, you simply raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. You can keep it. You can borrow it. You can also just read along on the screen as I read this story from the life of Jesus. In John, chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So I want to stop right there and explain why she's so perplexed that Jesus would ask her for a drink. Number one, she's a woman in that culture. Men typically didn't talk to women in public. And number two, she's a Samaritan. And Jesus was Jewish. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They had this generations-long feud. The Jews thought they were pagan. The Jews thought that Samaritans were half-breeds. And so they would never talk to a Samaritan. They thought they were beneath them. And so for that reason, she asked Jesus the question, why in the world would you ask me for a drink of water? you're a Jew and I'm much lower than you. It says that Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. So Jesus starts this conversation with her. She's continuing to ask more questions. And so Jesus understands that she's thinking physical. And so he takes things to the spiritual really fast. When he says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly speak the truth. So clearly this woman was having relationship problems. Jesus knew that. She clearly was not a good guy picker. So there was something going on in her life that she didn't do a very good job when it came to picking men. And she's on number five now, and so she's clearly decided, I'm just gonna live with this one. The other four didn't work out, and so this fifth one, I'm just gonna live with them. And Jesus tells her that, And it intrigues her that he knows that. And so they engage in this deeply spiritual conversation about worship, about the Messiah. And in that conversation, Jesus reveals to her, I am the Messiah. And it changes everything about her life in that moment. When she discovered this man I'm talking to, he could be the Messiah that we've been waiting on. And it changed everything about her. Just imagine when she goes home and he says, go get your husband. And now she's on her way home and she's thinking he's out. Uh, She probably shows up and says, it's time for you to go. (laughs) Go. What do you mean? Jesus said, you've got to go. (laughs) I met the Messiah and he says, you are out of here. So this experience with Jesus changed everything about her life. It did in my life when I met Jesus And if you've met Jesus, it probably has in yours too. And she immediately started this new habit that changed everything. In verse 29, it says, she goes back to her village and she says to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So something changed in this woman. All of a sudden, she gets this cue in her life that when she meets people who don't know Jesus, she develops this routine that just says, you have to come and see him. And then the reward was, when she did that, as you read on in this story, people got to know Jesus. So the cue was, people don't know Jesus. The routine was, come and see Jesus. The reward was, people got to know him. And that wasn't just a habit she developed. It wasn't just a normal kind of habit. It was what author Charles Duhigg in the book, The Power of Habit, calls a keystone habit. And this is what a keystone habit is. A habit that triggers a series of related or unrelated behaviors. Here's an example of a keystone habit. So in this book, the guy explains that Some researchers took a group of about this many, and they told them, they gave them one instruction. They said, journal your food. Whatever you eat, just write it down. And over time, with the only instruction to journal food, not what to eat, not when to eat, just journal your food, they began to write down what they ate. And you know what happened over time? They lost weight. Now, does writing down what you eat cause you to lose weight? No. But writing down what you eat makes you look one day and go, there's much too much pizza, hamburgers, and ice cream on there. Like, I feel bad now. No wonder this is here, and these are here. (laughs) And so people on their own, without any instruction, started substituting fruit for candy bars, salad instead of pizza, all on their own. So they developed this keystone habit of journaling their food and the unrelated behavior that came from that was they changed the way they ate and ultimately they lost weight. I have an app on my phone. Does anybody use my fitness Pal? I mean, I know the days that I think I can't log on today because <laughs> I got <laughs> friends that I share that with and, and I'm just going to say, oh, I forgot, you know, but it just means a day when I forgot to log my calories because it's pretty clear. The lower the calories, the more likelihood I have of shedding a few pounds. That's the same for everybody. And so logging that helps me develop better eating and exercise habits. That's a keystone habit. So are there habits that you can implement into your life that will trigger events that make a big difference? And there are. I mean, if there were a few that you could take tonight and change things in your life right now, and you could walk out of here with, you probably wanna know what they are. And remember, I told you that my wife makes the bed every single day. And if you make the bed every single day, you're gonna appreciate this. In that book that I mentioned, the author says this Studies have documented that families who habitually eat dinner together seem to raise children with better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. And Here's the kicker. Making your bed every morning is correlated with better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and stronger skills at sticking to a budget. It's not the family meal or the tidy bed that causes better grades or less frivolous spending, but somehow those initial shifts start chain reactions that help other good habits take If you know my wife, those things describe her. And when I read this, I sent it to her. Actually, I posted it on Facebook and I said, I know her secret. I know how she does all that. Now I'm going to make the bed. So so you're probably all going to make your bed tomorrow morning because you're like, that's the key. I just need to make my bed. But study after study shows, and you've probably heard that families who eat dinner together raise better children, more adapted children. Not because they eat together, but because there's something that happens relationally when you gather together that starts a chain reaction that helps kids be more disciplined, more confident in the other parts of their life. So your life would change if you just chose, what are the keystone habits I can develop in my life? So as I first read this material, I thought, what if our church developed a keystone habit? And what if that keystone habit that our church developed, that all of us develop together as a church, even if you're here for the first time, what if the keystone habit we develop is inviting other people in on what we're doing? Remember, it's a habit that triggers a series of related or unrelated behaviors. The woman who met Jesus that we just read about had an experience with Jesus, and then it changed her so much She developed a habit of inviting from that. Now, many of you already do that. I've I've even met people right after church or before church on a a day. And I say, hey, how'd you find out about us? And they say, somebody told me about this church. A friend invited me. And I'm like, who told you? I want to send them a Starbucks card or something. Like, That's like music to my ears. It makes me feel like we're winning when somebody has an experience that they want to bring other people in on. And I know it can be really scary because when you invite people into your life in some capacity, you are putting yourself out there for rejection. And nobody likes to be Rejected. But when we have an experience with Jesus, we can't help but tell other people about it. In the New Testament, the first century followers of Christ were often told, don't speak about Jesus. Don't say anything about him. And there's an episode in the New Testament book of Acts that talks about the first century church where people were told, don't speak about Jesus. And here was their response. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Here's why this is important. Not because Donnie wants to just build this thing called Life Point Church. But because I know there are people out there who don't know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, it's our job to let other people in on what we have discovered. It's important because... Over the next 33 years, by 2050, the population is going to grow by about 35%. Christianity is projected to grow by 35%. Hinduism, 34%. Judaism, 16%. Now that keeps us level with the population. It means that in 2050, the same percentage of the population will be followers of Christ that are now. So that's not as good of news as you might think. Because Islam is expected to grow in that same time by 73%. That means by 2050, half of the population will be Muslim. Even if you take out the ones that want to harm us, it's still higher than the percentage they project of people who identify as a follower of Christ. Why is that? Well, clearly they have discovered something in inviting other people in to what they have experienced. You already do this. You already invite people in on what you experience. I can name five of you that have been to Disney World this year and, and because of the way you post, which is awesome. I love to see what people are doing, but it's like, if you haven't done this, you have not experienced the full life yet. How could you gr- let your kids grow up and not send them there? Come on, you got to do it. It's worth the $6,000. You have to do it. <laughs> or those of you that are cruise people who believe those of us who are not cruise people have not experienced the life Jesus meant for us to experience. I've never been on a cruise. I just don't really have a desire to. And people have said, oh, you have to. You don't understand. And I start to think, are you making a commission on this? Because you're talking about it a lot. Or a movie or uh, an experience that you've had or an exercise routine or a diet or something that you've figured out that's been beneficial in your life. You tend to invite people in. Just imagine if every follower of Christ said, I've had this experience with Jesus that so radically changed my life, I'm going to invite other people in. Now, I know for some of you, you're still just checking Jesus out. Keep checking him out. Keep showing up because I know there's going to be a day you have that experience and you're going to go to your friends and you're going to say, something has changed. Something has changed and I want to tell you about it. So what does it mean to invite people in? Well, sometimes it means you invite them to church. You say, hey, I have found this church that is really making a difference in my life and I want to invite you to experience it as well. They talk about Jesus. We love the music, love what they do for kids. You got to come and experience this. Sometimes it means that. Sometimes it means you just invite somebody into your life a little bit closer. Hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Hey, why don't we get together and talk? hey, why don't you come to my group? And for some of you, it might mean inviting people that are already part of our church onto the team where you serve and say, hey, serving on this team has made a big difference and I would like for you to experience that too. So you just invite. But always develop the habit of inviting. Inviting goes from intimidating to easy if it's a really simple and obvious thing to do. So our strategy as a church is to continue to grow, not just in each of our locations, but to grow through starting more locations because what a benefit it is to go to church in your community where it's easy to invite people. I mean, if you drive 30 or 45 minutes to be here, awesome, keep doing it, we love that. Keep bringing people, but one day we're gonna say, there's so many people from there, let's start a location of our church there. Or let's start a church there. So right now we have Three campuses, one in Wake Forest, one in North Raleigh, and one in Cary. And our goal and our hope is that people in those communities say, I'm involved in church at my community where I can invite people who are around me. It's simple. It's obvious. Inviting moves from intimidating to easy if you've had an experience with Jesus. So what if we make our keystone habit inviting? Inviting what other things would come from that? What if we thought about this cue and routine and reward? So here's some cues for you if you're saying, Donnie, I'm in. I will invite people, but how do I know when? Well, here's two things I want you to think about. When you hear uh, these two words, you can start to lean in And think about, well, maybe this is a time to invite. And the first one is, if you're taking notes, write this down, new. We live in an area where there are a lot of new people. A lot of new people moving to our county. A lot of new people moving to our city. The latest census says there are 63 new people a day. That's a lot of new people. That's 23 some thousand people in a year that are new to our area. So when you hear somebody say, hey, I'm new, well, lean into that conversation and see, is this an opportunity to invite somebody who's new into something I've experienced? Another thing to listen for is the negative. Things aren't going well. I just lost my job. How about the cue of, we're really having financial trouble. Or I just went to the doctor and things aren't good. Or my marriage is falling apart, or I'm lonely. When something negative starts to come up in conversation, it's time to lean in because think of how negative that lady's life was who met up with Jesus. And look at how it ended up. So we listen for new and we listen to negative, for the negative. And that's our cue to just invite to church, to our group, into our lives. And it helps us develop that routine when we listen for those cues. And the reward is people get to know Jesus. If we listen for the cues and we develop the routine, the reward is going to be more people get to know Jesus. If it's at our church, that's awesome. If it's not, that's still awesome. Just so people get to know who Jesus is and are radically changed by him. And then they go and say, I want to develop this habit too. So here's what happened in the woman's life. It says that many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. They said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. People who moments before were separated from God, this messed up woman comes into their life and says, You have to come here. You have to go meet this guy. You have to see this. And because of that invitation, Many in the village started to believe. Imagine the stories told around the dinner table, maybe generations later in a tradition, in a culture that was very oral in the way it kept its history. And a child asking a grandparent, how did we get to know Jesus? How did we become Christian? And the story starts with, there was this messed up woman who couldn't hold a marriage together. And she met up with Jesus and everything about her life changed and she told us about him. And now that's how we learned who Jesus is. That's what happened in my life. Somebody invited me. When I was in college, somebody invited me to a college Bible study at a church, and I went. Things in my life weren't great at the time, so, because when things aren't great in people's lives, they're very receptive. That's why we wanna listen for the negative. Things aren't going great, The receptivity is really high, like it was for this lady. She had messed up relationally, so when Jesus starts talking, she's like, well, I'm waiting to worship the Messiah when he shows up, and Jesus says, I'm him, and she's like, perfect, because my life's a wreck. Maybe you can help me with it, and he did. And then somebody invited me to be a part of two or three guys just sitting down, opening the Bible, and reading it, and I did that, and because of that, those invitations those people are forever part of my story. When I'm an old man telling much younger people about how I knew Jesus, those people will be a part of it. Jesus' plan is for us to go be his witnesses. It's what he asked us to do. And that's what I'm asking you to join me, to join our church in doing is to develop this habit. To make this our keystone habit, imagine the people that will will be released from what's going on in their life. Imagine the people that will find hope simply because you made an invitation, simply because you got them in a place where they could respond to Jesus. Imagine when they're telling their story somewhere, maybe on a stage, maybe around a circle, maybe they're writing it, And you're part of it because you said, hey, I want to invite you in on what I found. There are people that know Jesus today because of a simple invitation. Imagine if together we all did that. And we want to make it easy. We want to make it really easy. So when you hear somebody's new or you hear something negative, lean into that conversation. If they don't have a church home, the first thing you should think about is, how do I keep this routine of inviting them in and what's the best place? Is it Sunday morning? Is it some other time to come to church? Is it coming into our group? Is it just coming into our home for dinner? Whatever it is, and the reward is they're going to tell a story that includes your invitation and they got to know Jesus simply because you had an experience and you told somebody else about it. Not only are we making it easier by giving you the cues to listen for, we've got a bunch of invite cards. You can pick these up in any of our lobbies and just pick these invite cards up. And when you hear that, you can say, hey, just want you to know there's a church I found and I love it and I'd like for you to come and join Come and join in and see what it's like. Or maybe it's, hey, I know you're not ready for this, but why don't you come over to the house? And then you can talk to them about that. Whatever it takes, develop that keystone habit of inviting, and there's no telling what God will do. Let's do our part. So 33 years from now, that number is not just 35%, it's a lot bigger. So I'm inviting you to join me in doing all that we can to let people know that Jesus can change everything in their life. Let's pray. God, we want to pray for the people right now who are hurting or people who are brand new and wondering how they can get plugged in in a new city. God, I pray that you would somehow let them cross paths with The people who are here right now that'll hear that and they'll take that cue and they'll just routinely say, hey, I want to invite you in on what's going on in my life. Because God, we want to see people ultimately get to know Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen.